0: I received an email a week and a half ago. It was an email inviting me to a speaking engagement, and it began with the words to the very honorable Reverend Ralph Mayhew. Now, I am a Rev, but you may not know that, because I never talk about myself in that way whatsoever. In fact, if you know me, you know that you do not start, and don't you do it this week. You don't start an email with that way, it's, it's, it switches me off. And so as the email went forward, it felt, went on, it felt like I was being buttered up. It's like, wow, he's so good. The person, I'd, we'd never met, I didn't know the person. And they finished with this grand acclaim that made me feel spiritually kind of completely inadequate. They're like, to the grace and the glory of God forever, and it continued on. And then they signed... Reverend, Doctor, Father, Priest, I don't know where it was, Winston, whatever. And then my response to this was, if this gig that they're talking about is going to come off, I need to just be me. And so I responded, not a word of a lie, I responded and said, G'day, Winston, it's Ralph here. And we went all the way through, and at the end I said, cheers and bless you, Ralph. Like, because... I don't feel comfortable with titles put on me, like ambassador, right? That's a weird, Does anyone, did anyone go, you're not too keen on the word of being called an ambassador? There's a, there's a few nods and some, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Elite titles, we just, especially in Australian culture, we don't gravitate toward them and go, yes. But Paul said, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore God's... Ambassadors. As though God were making an appeal to everybody else through us. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom. The title ambassador does not fit me well. But the role, the challenge, the job of ambassador, that's something different entirely. Being an ambassador is accepting the responsibility that God gives every single one of his children. It's to be a person that brings forward and brings into the lives of others the vision of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. That's what it means to be an ambassador for the advancement of Jesus' vision, his kingdom. It's about the representation of who Jesus stands for. So when people meet us, it's as though they're meeting Jesus because of our representation. Jesus it's about being a spokesperson for the things that are really important to Jesus and Jesus kingdom expands as ambassadors do that well beyond the walls of this building if up to this point your understanding of the kingdom of God is what happens on a Sunday morning you need to read the Gospels and realize it has nothing to do with the building it has to do with a group of people who are ambassadors and carry the vision of Jesus into the world. And so this morning, I want to talk about Jesus' vision for the world, and I want to talk about it in specific focus of it being his vision for our work, our employment, the things we do when we're not here. Does that sound helpful? Sound like it might be advantageous? Now, I realize some of you aren't working. You've made it to the retirement line, and you're like, I don't want to go back there. But this is more than applicable to just your paid job. If you're involved in a community group, if you're a parent, if you uh, just love your neighbors, if you do a hobby with a group of others, what I'm talking about today will make a massive difference in that space. So let's talk about work. The average hours of week worked in Queensland are 40.2. That's two less than 10 years ago. Ten years ago, the average person work 42 years, but they would be less stressed than they are today. So we're working less, but we're more stressed. That's not a great deal, is it? That's not good. If you work full-time, you spend at least a third of your waking hours at work. And for many, it's actually half. If you're a parent, you're a mum or dad, you spend 100% of your hours at work, and that's why you're exhausted. That's why. 73% of those surveyed said they, they simply go to work to earn money. That's the full entirety of what work means to them, to get a paycheck to do the rest of life. And when you retire, congrats to those of you who've made it. Some days, I'm a little envious. Some days. You still continue to work. The framework just looks and feels different. Work is where so much of our lives Happen. It's where our stress and our joy can come from. It's where our purpose and our calling can play out. It's where we can build or have crushed or exploited our security. And Jesus has a vision for it. He has a vision for how our work should be. Whether it's in the workforce or whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're parenting kids or looking after a home, whether you're volunteering in the community or doing ministry. It all sits under Jesus' vision. And here it is. It's a vision to populate all the world with ambassadors who carry his kingdom with them wherever they go. It was a vision that began way, way back. Like if you go way, way back and you arrive in Genesis, which happens to be the first book of the Bible, but it's also the story of how humanity came to find its being. In the second chapter, the story hasn't even fired up yet. In the second chapter, verse 5, it says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So right from the get-go, you had this picture. that I was thinking that the world would actually look worse than my veggie patch. Um, my, that's not my veggie patch. My veggie patch is far worse than that. But this is talking about before that even existed, there was just nothing... And God looks at it and says, I haven't sent rain because there's no one to do the work of making sure it's cultivated. So then we read in verse 15, 10 verses later, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. He was put in the garden to look after it, to take care of it. Problem solved. God's solution for our humanity was to be productive and to work. And then in Genesis 3, verse 23, the next chapter. So the Lord God, things went really bad for Adam and Eve. We're not going to get into that today, but I'm happy to talk with anyone about it. So the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden to work. The work didn't stop. The work wasn't a punishment. The work was there before. The work didn't stop. The work was essential for the health of the earth and the vibrancy of the human condition. We were made to work, to contribute, to be productive. It's how we were put together. Right from day one, God entrusted people with this grand vision of work, and it is a spectacular vision. God's vision for our work is so much deeper and so much richer than we realize. And here's the starting point for us to think about it. We need to work as though we are working for God. So just think about how you define work. You have to do that as though God is the boss. Because God is the boss. God actually is. The work you are doing, you are doing for God. Even though there's an intermediate, like there might be somebody in between, they call themselves an employer or a boss or whatever. Even though they're there, you are working for God. And he will use your work to shape the things he wants to do in this world. As Dale said before, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. This is brilliant. This is brilliant. Your boss is paying you God's money. He doesn't even know. You could tell him tomorrow morning. See how that goes. You might not actually have a job, uh, so maybe scratch that idea. Your boss pays you with God's money, to do something worthy of God that God will use. That's amazing. You see, your work, whatever it is, is more about God than it is about you. And for some of you, that's, that's all you need from the whole sermon today. You just need to sit on that and you can catch some Z's now. Just drift off, I won't be offended because I know that you've already got, wow, this has changed my life. Your work, whatever it is, is more about God than it is about you. That's a change of our heart that we have to to allow God to do in us. Because you are an ambassador, after all, aren't you? You're there on God's behalf to do God's work. But Paul goes on, he says, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So let's do a bit of a pop quiz. What is an inheritance? Seriously? But, sorry, Karen, you're the only bright one here. Everyone else is like, I took seriously the falling asleep thing before, so I'm done. what you get when someone else Dies, right? It's what you get when someone else dies. I know you all know what that is. All right, when do we get it? We'll go back to you, Karen. When they're dead, that's right. Okay, if our work contributes an inheritance, when does God die? Never. Or maybe God already has in Jesus Christ. Said the biblical inheritance is made available through the death of Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross and died on the cross, he transformed everything, including our work, which we can enjoy because God has given us that. It's part of the inheritance that comes out of the resurrection. Our work is our ministry. It's our serving of God. Said another way, Jesus' work on the cross, his work on the cross should enrich our work in the world. Our work is actually contributing the raw materials to the things God wants to build in his kingdom both now and into the future and into eternity when we spend that time with God in what we might call heaven. Your work is important. Whatever your work is, it is important. It really matters because it contributes to what God is doing in this world as the work of an ambassador. Your work is what enables you to be involved with what God is doing in the world. And how often do we see it as that, I love doing this ministry, but now I have to work. And God's like, it's your ministry as well. I want to use you as much there as I do in the way that you're serving in the church. We need to develop our thinking from, I earn money from my job to help me do more things for God, into I get paid by God to do what he wants me to do in everything. It's amazing. But that does not stop work being hard, does it? Work is tough. And I'm not talking about that there's a hard day at work. I'm talking about, oh my heart. It was hard. It's tough sometimes. It's unjust. Sometimes it's we get anxious from it. Sometimes we, we feel like we lose our mind. You ever feel like that? You come home from work, you're like, oh, I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. When your standards are called into question. When there's conflict in the office, how much is that horrible? When there's conflict with a customer, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when your boss is dishonest, when the board can't see your new idea, what do we do then? What do we do then? Because that's the reality of life, right? And all the other things that sprang to mind when I said work is tough. Well, Jesus' work on the cross was all of these things. Jesus' work on the cross encountered, endured, experienced all of these things. His work was to embrace that for us, to win a victory over it for us, to give us that victory, that we might live in that victory and not live in the struggle and the toughness of it. And the victory was about Jesus redeeming all things. God takes the work of Jesus on the cross and redeems it for the price of all the brokenness in the world. Jesus' work was a suffering so that our work could be a freedom. It's awesome. Which leads me to ask, if work is tough, is that cuz we're carrying around stuff that Jesus should be carrying around? Cuz it's easy done, right? We carry around stuff that Jesus is like, that's mine. Give it back. We're like, no, 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 I like I I need to know where my next paycheck's coming from God. I need to sort out this mess of somebody said something in the office and I don't know how to do that. I need to sort out the fact that this patient is really upset at me, or this client is really dissatisfied, or this customer really hates me because I need to set that out. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's mine. This is, this is my work. You're serving me in it. This is my work. It's, it's an opportunity to step into faith, to grow in faith in that space because we are part of God's redeeming work, which means your work is not meant to be about suffering. It's meant to be about redemption. About expanding the redeeming power of God in this world because God is using what you are doing it's not just yours it belongs to God too your work isn't for you to carry around the conflict and the struggle and the pain and the stress and the overwhelmment that is now a word of your work it's for Jesus to carry your work is to do the work that's it just do the work for God And celebrate that Jesus takes care of your burden. As I look back at my working career, and I've been a pastor for nearly 20 years, but before that and over the course of that, I've had the privilege of being involved in so many different workspaces and doing so many different jobs outside of the church thing. And there have been numerous times when I've come to the conclusion saying, God, this thing that I'm facing or that I'm feeling, it's actually your problem before it's mine. Can you fix it? Can you help me? Can you resource me? Can you strengthen me? Can you change something? I don't know what to do. I don't want to be here. I think about a different job. God, if you want me here, if this is your job, do something here. And God does. You know what? Because we aren't designed to do it. We're not designed to carry all that stuff around. It doesn't work for us, does it? It just breaks us down. But Jesus says, I'll carry that stuff for you because our work is more about God than it is about us and our role is to be ambassadors. We're not the king, we're just ambassadors to the king. Whether it be tending to a patient, helping a client, raising your kids, stacking shells, going to school, going to uni, working in a casual job, trying to recover and go back to full-time work, running your own business where you can feel like you're the only lonely thing in the whole world with everything else going around chasing a dream, picking up rubbish. It doesn't matter what the work is. Your work is what enables you to be involved in what God is doing in the world. It's this very exciting gateway we have, which is more about God than is about us. So really briefly, in the time remaining, I'm going to give you six approaches to being a Christian in the workplace. And you get full points if you do all six. I, I but I'm hoping that one of these will be helpful. Well, hopefully all six are helpful. But I also want to say, if this material has struck a chord today, and you're like, this has been really helpful to think about my faith at work, please tell me, because I want to spend more time in it um, in our next series. But if it's not, I don't want to inflict a painful sermon on you, okay? So if it's really helpful, please tell me, and that will help us shape where we're going and what's helpful. Okay, the first of six, and we're going to rocket through them. Display godly character. Display godly character. When you work with integrity, when you're honest, when you show up on time, when you're kind and you respect others, when you follow instructions, when you don't gossip or judge, when you encourage others, when you value the work and value the other people that do that, you start to look like Jesus looks like. And when people look at you, they will see more than you, which leads to three things. People will see Jesus in your life. People will value Jesus in your life, and you gain the credibility to speak about Jesus in your life. Godly character, number one. Number two, lavish grace upon others. When Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. God lavishes us with grace. He pours and pours and pours and pours and gives us more and more grace. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. In a, in a month or two, we're traveling down to Melbourne and we're staying with my mum, so the kid's grandma. And we did this a couple of times ago and grandma grabs the grandkids, brings them in, to, within earshot of Lyndall and I, but definitely without outside of like interruption range. And she says, kids, this is my house. It doesn't matter what your parents say. I want to spoil you. I want to treat you. She didn't use this language. What she's saying is I'm going to lavish sugar upon you. You're like, no, well played, mum. And I'm like, mum, where was that when we were growing up? Like, She's lavish. So she hugs them and she kisses them and she gives them whatever they want. She lavishes upon them. That's what God does to us, he lavishes his grace upon us far more than we ever deserve. So, how do you go lavishing your co workers, your customers, your patients, your clients, your kids, your students, your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends with grace? And if your automatic response is, but they don't deserve it, Ralph, that's why they call it grace. <laughs> That Nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves you lavishing grace upon them. You don't even deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God says, I will lavish grace upon you. Now show the world what I'm like. And as ambassadors, we go out to lavish grace on others. That's the second. The third is shaping culture. Look for ways to establish Jesus' kingdom in your workplace. Now, a little bit about asterisks here. This doesn't mean you need to put up Christian posters everywhere or have Christian worship music or have Bibles on every surface that people can see and put a a Bible verse on the bottom of your business card. If that's your thing, amen and go for it. But for the majority of us here, it might not be the best solution. But shaping a culture, it's about creating and contributing to a culture that values people that encourages people, that believes in them, that is committed, that has integrity, that is kind to others. If we are ambassadors of Jesus, then we have a spiritual responsibility to shape the way things are and look. Number four, be a mouthpiece for truth and justice. When the prophet Micah went against the working culture of the Israelites, this is several thousand years ago, they were using God to make themselves look good. And God wasn't having any of it, and so he spoke to Micah, and he said, take my people to task over this. And Micah steps up, and he says these words, he has shown you, the Lord has shown you what is good, O mortal, when God calls you mortal, that's not a good day, is it? It's like, (laughs) oh. Yeah, I was already feeling kind of small. What is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. To act justly is the number one thing that God says He expects of ambassadors to act justly wherever God has put you. So when you have the chance to be just, take it. When you see an injustice, speak against it. And if your response is, but what if I lose my job? My response is, who gave you the job in the first place? Maybe you have that job to speak against that injustice, but it requires such faith, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, the workplace becomes this arena where we can grow in our faith and we can do it with Jesus. So number five on the list is is probably the number one that we would go. The list is one. There's really only one way of being a Christian in the workplace, and it's this one, share your faith. First Peter, it says, It's essential that you are always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and do it with respect. As believers, our hearts... Should be constantly stirred by the hope we've been given by God. So hope in a better future, hope in redemption, hope in the things that God will make a difference to the way things are, and we have to be ready to share the reason why we have that hope. And then the last one, and we're nearly there, is to dethrone work as an idol. Your work is a gift from God, it is not a God. Your work is not something that should be worshipped, but something you should use to worship God with. Your work is a continuation of God's work. It's not a distraction to your devotion to God. Use your work as a gift from God to grow in your faith and not become the object of your faith. They're pretty close to being on time. So I hope, as I literally do, say my last paragraph that as we've rocketed through these six, that one or two or many are helpful. And I hope the Spirit of God has stirred your creativity, has engaged your imagination about how that becomes real in your life and your work experience. And I want to pray for you as we come to a conclusion today. Lord, so much of our life and our time that is not spent in this place is spent doing your work. Forgive us for when we have diminished that, thinking it is running in opposition to what your will is. And help us to see your providence and your will in all of the manner of works we do. Lord, use it this week. Use work to strengthen our faith. To exercise our faith. That we might not hate work and want to move away from it because of our faith, but we might move toward it in your power and your strength and your authority. As the Holy Spirit, as this day goes on, perhaps we have to work this afternoon, perhaps it's tomorrow morning, perhaps it's later on, ready our spirits and prepare our hearts to be your ambassadors. we might see your vision for this world expand through our work that we do and we ask this in your powerful and amazing name amen